RadioInfluence.com. This is the MMA Report with Jason Floyd on Radio Influence. Welcome into a new episode of the MMA Report podcast. I am Jason Floyd. Well, if you're watching this on video, you see I am solo this week as, of course, here typically on the Wednesday episode of the podcast, I am joined by Daniel Galvan as we sit back and debate some of the things going on in this crazy world of mixed martial arts. But uh, Daniel, unable to be on the show this week, Daniel will record. We'll be back with me next Wednesday as we'll get you ready for UFC 276. Yeah, we're under two weeks away from UFC 276, but here on this edition of the show, a solo edition of the show, I am going to get you ready for all of this week's mixed martial arts action. As of course, coming up on Friday, we've got Bellator 282 up there in Connecticut. And then of course, coming up on uh, also on Friday, you've got the PFL event, which will be there in Georgia. Then of course, on Saturday, the UFC back inside the UFC apex UFC Vegas 57. Of course, that matchup will be headlined by a key matchup between top 15 lightweights, Armour Sarukian and Mateus Gamrot. And of course the Bellator show headlined by a middleweight title matchup. That'll be Gagar Musasi defending his title against Johnny Eblin. And then, of course, the PFL event will be the next uh, stage of this season as we'll have the heavyweights and featherweights. Plus, we have one lightweight matchup. Uh, over the course of this show, you're going to hear some audio clips from uh, for, you're gonna hear from Don Davis, of course, uh, the founder of the PFL, as uh, he did an interview on TSN with Aaron Bronster where, well, I think he broke a little bit of news. And... Because I had not heard him say this before, anyone from the PFL say this before, he reveals the price point for their pay-per-views that are going to be started up here in the very near future. So you hear that from Don Davis. Also uh, talk about why this stage of the PFL is his favorite PFL events, which I will tell you, I exactly agree with what Don Davis has to say there. And of course, uh, you hear from Gegard Musasi. Kat Zingana, who made some very interesting comments and uh, comments that made me pick up the phone and start calling around to maybe get some little clarification on it. Also, you hear from Johnny Eblen. Uh, Of course, Johnny Eblen challenging Gegard Musasi for the Bellator middleweight title. Uh, You know, so it should be a a great night of action on Friday and on Saturday. And, uh, you know, really, of course, uh, here on Wednesday, media day took place for all three of these organizations. And to me, the biggest takeaway that I had in terms of this one was what Kat Zingano had to say during the Bellator 282 virtual media day. And I'm going to let you hear for what Kat Zingano had to say. And it was very interesting as uh, she was basically uh, Stephen Morocco from MMA Fighting is a reporter here asking the question. And the question revolves around the fact of, hey, Kat, why are we not seeing you fight Chris Cyborg? Kat, would you have rather have faced Chris Cyborg next um, if you could sort of rewrite your script for this year? I mean, I can't sort of explain to us, like from your perspective, why that fight didn't take place. Uh, I wasn't offered that fight for one. Um, I know coming into Bellator, um, we talked about how that was going to be a fight that we had for sure. Um, I know also coming into Bellator, like all of my footage of fighting 
was in the UFC, there's licensing stuff there. So they can't promote me. They can't use any of my fight videos or highlights or anything. Can't even really talk about me without it being a licensing thing with the UFC. So, you know, they really wanted me to, you know, fight fights here and, you know, get tape, get real, um, you know, give me, uh, you know, good matches against good 145 pound girls. And, you know, I am relatively new to this weight class. So, you know, putting me in there and, and figuring it out. Um, I wasn't offered cyborg. I did tell them in the beginning, there were things that I want to do where both of us would do to make sure it's a fair fight and to make sure it's a safe fight. Um, and you know, with those guidelines and everything, it just, it never came out. Um, every time we, you know, talked about the fight being between us or she was calling me out online or I was saying stuff about her online. I was kind of waiting for the phone calls and the phone calls would come, but it was never her name. So, um, you know, uh, fights are momentary. Every punch, every kick is moment by moment, every second, every breath. Um, so I'm focusing on this fight. I know that fight, you know, it doesn't even matter right now because this is what I have to do. My eyes are set on Pam Sorensen and getting through this match and uh, coming here and doing what I trained to do. Assuming you beat Pam, um, have you been told specifically that this is a number one contender fight? Uh, yeah, I mean, and I've, I've called it that myself. You know, um, that's what I'm assuming. Uh, you know, she Pam's coming up and she's done some good things with Bellator so far. Um, I'm coming up doing some good things with Bellator so far. Um, I think it would be fair to say that that could be the result of, of this fight for sure. So assuming you win, what would you like to see happen? You mentioned before that you, you wanted to make it a fair fight. You wanted certain things to happen. What would you like to see happen to make it a fair fight and make it a fight that you'd be okay with? Um, I just think independent testing for both of us with a, a you know, a, a independent resource, just making sure uh, there's no biases. There's no, you know, people that we know and making sure everything is just safe and fair. And there you have what Kat Zingano said at the Bellator 280, 282 virtual media day. And uh, so obviously when she said that I'm sitting here in the office, I'm doing a little video production and, and I had the, the zoom call up on my second, on my second monitor. And when she said all that, my, my ears just like, Whoa, Whoa. whoa. And, and so you hear what she said there. And so there's a lot to take in there of what she said. You know, to me, I mean, first off, she talked about the fact that the fight has never officially been offered to her. Okay. All right. The second thing is talking about the guidelines that she would have for that fight. And as she said, you heard her say it there, a safe and fair fight. And so, and of course, she talks about independent testing. And right when she said that, a meme in my head was, I know Chris Cyborg, or at least in my head, I was like, I'm pretty sure Chris Cyborg has been drug tested in Bellator. So I reached out to Mike Mazzulli, of course, uh, runs the Mohegan Tribe Department of Athletic Regulations. Uh, he oversees Bellator international events, and he also does drug testing, not just for fights that take place under the Mohegan, you know, at the Mohegan uh, Sun, but he has also done drug testing for other events for Bellator. And I hit him up and I said, Hey, you know, how, you know, basically I was saying, has Chris Cyborg been drug tested? And he said, he said, Jay, yeah, she has. He goes, I've drug tested her in and out of competition. Uh, mentioned the fact that he drug tested her for her recent fights in Hawaii. And, you know, look, the one thing about Chris Cyborg is, and I, you, if you're a long time listener to this podcast, you know, a term that I'm about to say is that there's perceptions versus realities. And the perception with Chris Cyborg 
is always going to relate to the failed drug test that she had back in Strike Force. You, you know, and I'm not here to <clears throat> I'm not here to defend Chris Cyborg at all. I'm just saying the perception that Chris Cyborg is always going to have about her is the fact of people are going to question whether or not something else is going on. That perception is always going to be there, but the reality is you know, when she was in the UFC, she was a part of USADA testing program. And when she's in Bellator, she has been drug tested, as Mike Mazzulli told me, in competition and also out of competition. And I've said this, that there is a lot more drug testing going on in Bellator than people realize. You know, I think that there, I, I, once again, this goes this perception versus reality topic of the perception that I think a good amount of mixed martial arts fans have is that drug testing is not happening in Bellator. Drug testing is happening in Bellator. Now, is it happening at the level it's happening at the UFC? Of course not. It's not It's not at that level. And, and, I, and, and look, and I've said this before, like if I'm Scott Coker, I don't know if I want to use a drug testing program. I really don't know if I would, if I was in Scott Coker's shoes. But of course, we all want to see fighters on a fair and, and level playing field. And, you know, look, it's for for. Kat Singano, it would not surprise me if she loses on Friday night. I'm just being honest about it. You know what? She's a favorite in that one, you know, and I just I don't like the matchup against Chris Cyborg. I think she's got a tough matchup uh, against Pam Sorensen. But it's like I said, the perception of Chris Cyborg is always going to be out there. But the reality is she has been drug tested. And maybe Kat Zingano just doesn't know that. Or maybe Kat Zingano wants to push that. You know, I think probably the, the more interesting part of what she said there was the fact of wanting independent testing. Now, is that independent testing? Is she saying she wants WADA? She wants VADA? She didn't elaborate on that. You know, does she not want it to come from a commission? Does she not want it to come from, you know, someone like a Mike Mazzulli, even though he is the head of the ABC? I don't know. But look, it's we, we all know the contract situation with Chris Cyborg, which I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. I would really be, I would be thoroughly shocked if Chris Cyborg does not test free agency, she doesn't go out there and see what does the PFL want to offer her? Because obviously the PFL needs her for their pay-per-view division for a matchup against Kayla Harrison. I would expect the PFL to, to throw out a big number, but look, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Bellator would match that number, but it, but also if Bellator lets Chris Cyborg walk makes you kind of wonder what is the future for 145 pounds. You know, I've talked about this before as a voter in the Bellator ranking system, there is only 10 fighters to vote on, you know, so it's not a deep division at all. And, and of course I've said this, the biggest problem that Bellator has with Chris Cyborg is finding matchups that get people excited, finding matchups that get people to want to come to the television set on a Friday night or a Saturday night. And I think PFL starting to get in that world with Kayla Harrison, very interested in her matchup against Julia Budd, even though Julia Budd lost her first fight in the PFL this year, still a matchup that intrigues me, but I think that's a problem that Bellator and PFL both have. Do I think there's ever a co-promotion between the two? No. I mean, what was it a couple weeks ago where Scott Coker basically said, Hey, PFL, you have, you got my number, you know, instead of, you know, going online and saying things, how about you pick up the phone and, and give me a call? But that was a very, to me, uh, in terms of the media days today, that to me was the most interesting thing was Chris Cyborg, uh, or, or excuse me, what Katzengano said about Chris Cyborg. Of course, this Bellator event, uh, something to note about this Bellator event. You know, I mentioned about the fact that I talked to Mike Mazzulli today and uh, talked to him about the, you know, how many times Chris Cyborg had been drug tested. 
And he let me know about something that's going to happen. Uh, I believe it's going to be tomorrow in the fighter meeting as he is going to hand out a piece of paper to all the fires, everyone in the fire, um, fire rules meeting that is simply titled drudge judge criteria. And it has three things that they're going to talk about. Number one, impact and damage. Number two, dominance. And number three, duration. Uh, I'll just read what impact and, and damage says. It says, a judge shall assess if a fighter impacts their opponent significantly in the round, even though they may not have dominated the action. Impact includes a visible evidence such as swelling and laceration. Impact shall be assessed when a fighter's actions using striking and or grappling lead to a diminishing of their opponent's energy, confidence, abilities, and spirit. All of these come as a direct result of impact. When a fighter is impacted by strikes, by lack of control and or ability, they can create defining moments in the round and shall be assessed with great value. Now, as I read that, the thing that comes to my mind is Chris Lee's scorecard in Josh Emmett versus... Calvin Cater. I still have no idea how uh, how Chris Lee scored that fourth round for Josh Emmett. Now, the number two is dominance, and it says this. As MMA is an offensive-based sport, dominance of a round can be seen as striking when the losing fighter is forced to continually defend with no counters or reactions taken when openings present themselves. Dominance in the grappling phase can be seen by fighter staking dominant positions in the fight and utilizing these positions to attempt fight ending submissions or attacks. Merely holding a dominant position shall not be a primary factor in assessing dominance. What the fighter does with these positions is what must be assessed in the absence of dominance in the grappling phase. As set forth in paragraph three of the rules to be considered dominant, there must be a sing- singular or combination, some types of submission, temp strikes, and or overwhelming pace, which is measured by improved or aggressively positioned changes that cause a losing fighter to constantly be in a defensive or reactive mode. Now, when I read that, the thing that immediately comes to my mind is Logan Storley versus Michael Page. And of course, we all know how that one played out. And then number three is duration, where it says duration is defined by the time spent by one fighter effectively attacking, controlling, and impacting their opponent while their opponent offers little to no offensive output. A judge shall assess duration by recognizing relative time around when a fighter takes and maintains full control of the effective offense. This can be assessed both standing and grounded. And that is something that Mike Mazzoli is going to go over with the fighters who are taking part of Bellator 282. Obviously, uh, their corners will be there as well. So interesting little little nugget for you there about uh, what's going to go on the rules meeting uh, on Thursday when it comes to the fighters here at Bellator 282. Uh, And and of course, uh, this fight card going to be headlined by Gegard Mousasi taking on Johnny Eblen and uh, gay guard uh, talked to the media today. You could tell, and even he mentioned the fact of uh, not, not uh, his uh, ideal of a fun on fight week to be talking to the media. But uh, the thing that stuck out to me the most of what gay guard Musasi had to say was about what the future could hold for him. You said after the Vanderford fight, you want two more fights this year. If all goes well this Friday, is that still the plan? One more after that? Yeah, after this uh, end of the year, they're gonna, they're gonna keep me busy, and then um, I go from I I, t- I look at the fight by fight nowadays. Um, I don't even look past this guy. We see how it goes. I don't. I mean, to be honest, I really don't care. 
I, I don't even think about who's next. Having said that, I'll just ask this flat out. I mean, would that end of the year fight be middleweight or would that potentially be the move to 205? Well, I think uh, the plan was, I think at least what I think Bellator plan was uh, to fight the lightweight champ, but uh, they're in a um, rematch. So I don't know who's the, who they're going to give me. Interesting comment there from Gegar Mousasi talking about potentially moving up to 205 pounds and mentioning the fact that the plan was likely for him to take on the winner of Nemkov and Anderson. Of course, we know those guys will be running it back after what happened earlier on this year. And, of course, he's taking on Johnny Eblen, American top team product. Of course, a couple weeks ago, we had Danny Sabatello on the podcast told a great story about how the fact of his first week at ATT was also the first week for Johnny Eblen at ATT, and one of the things that Johnny Edwin got asked today is whether or not he thinks Gegard Mousasi could be underestimating him. Do you think there's any chance that he underestimates you as an opponent, given his experience, given his desire to go to light heavyweight, given his confidence? Sure, yeah, he's confident, probably looking past me, but I really don't care. Um, I'm going to go in there and put it on him and, like I said, have fun. And are you going to go to light heavyweight or you're going to stick at middleweight if you um, win the title? I'm a middleweight. So, yeah, may, maybe in the future, but I'm not really looking past this fight at all. And that, of course, was Johnny Eblen asked by Steve Morocco of MMA Fighting uh, about the, about this situation here. And, you know, look, it's to me, and, and I've had a couple people ask me about how I see this fight going. And to me, if Johnny Eblen is going to pull it off, if Johnny Eblen is going to go out there and shock the world on Friday night, he has got to wrestle. I just, you know, when you talk about the, the, the easier path to victory, to me, the, the best path to victory for Johnny Eblen here is to take this matchup to the ground. And, of course, Gegard in his media day kind of joked about the fact that he goes, I'm not going to live on off my back in, in this one. And, uh, I mean, look, Johnny Eblen is a super talented fighter in this one. But to me, if he's going to pull it off, he's got to utilize his wrestling. You know, he's got King Mo in his corner. Dustin Poirier will also be in his corner. Of course, Dustin Poirier uh, was already going to be there uh, as he's going to be in the corner of Bahamasi and, and Edwin mentioned about the fact of that he asked uh, if Dustin would be in his corner of course Mola Wall has previously uh, competed against Gegard Musasi, and obviously he's offered great advice uh, for for Edwin here. I mean, look, you know, Musasi, and I was thinking about this today, like, when we talk about the history of MMA, I wonder if we give Gegard Musasi, as the young kids like to say, give him his roses, and, and the fact of how elite of this guy is. I, I wonder if sometimes maybe we don't give Gegard Musasi the credit he deserves. Maybe we do. Maybe it's just something that I'm I'm off on. But it just feels like that maybe we, we just don't give him enough. But um, I mean, look, it's it's gay, to me it's Gegard Musasi's fight to lose. But if he's going to lose this one, to me it means that he is able to wrestle Johnny Edwin. Of course, now this is back to back fights for American top team uh, against Gegard Musasi. Previously, of course, it was Austin Vanderford, and that fight just was never close. And um, we'll, we'll see how that one goes down. And then, of course, also this main car going to have the continuation of the belt or belt. Bellator Bantamweight World Grand Prix. We've got Danny Sabatello taking on Leandro Higo and Magomed Megamadoff taking on Enrique Barzola. And, uh, you know, I remember I was looking at the betting odds yesterday. Danny Sabatello, a five to one betting favorite in this one. I thought he'd be at least a four to one betting favorite. So I'm not really shocked by the betting odds in this one. I mean, look, there's to me, there are two battles for Leandro Higo. Actually, I'll say that I think there's three battles for Leandro Higo against Danny Sabatello or this matchup. Battle number one 
is on Thursday morning, the scale. We have seen the fact that he has missed weight on, on several, on multiple occasions inside the Bellator cage. Does he, or does he not make weight? This has been a popular question leading up to this fight. He's talked about, there's been changes that have been made. Well, we'll find out tomorrow morning if those changes have been made. Battle number two is the fighting abilities of Danny Sabatello. Listening to Leandro Higo today, there is part of me that I do wonder if he underestimates the complete game of Danny Sabatello. We all know Danny Sabatello is a great wrestler. I wonder if he underestimates what Danny Sabatello can do on the feet. I mean, look, he is going to have to deal with the pace that Danny Sabatello brings. He's going to have to bring, you know, deal with the wrestling that he brings. The third battle for Leandro Higo in this one is the mental warfare. I mean, let's be honest about it. Danny Sabatello knows how to talk trash. I mean, flat out. I mean, I love talking to Danny Sabatello. He may be one, in in 2022, he might be one of my favorite interviews in this game. I love talking to Danny Sabatello. The guy gets it. The guy knows how to promote himself. And it's like we, you know, we joked about when Sabatello was on the podcast, uh, you know, in his post-fight interview, if you take a shot every time he says the F word, well, you're probably going to be passed out drunk uh, really quickly. I mean, look, I'll say this. I, t- I talked about Daniel Sabatello heading in this tournament. To me, he was a dark horse. To me, he's got to be the, one of the guys. I mean, you, when you talk about, you know, favors to win this tournament, look, Rafael Stotts has to be the favorite at this point. I would tell you, number two to me might be Danny Sabatello. Just because of the pace, the wrestling he brings. Now, the question is ultimately going to come is, what happens if someone can stop that wrestling? What happens if someone is able to keep the fight on the feet? Can Leandro Higo do it? I do, you know, you got to remember with these band, these Bantamweight Grand Prix fights, now that we're in the quarterfinal stage, these are scheduled for five rounds. I don't I don't know if Leandro Higo can keep up with the pace for Danny Sabatello. I expect Danny Sabatello to win. But look, if Higo can keep the fight on the feet, he's got a shot. No question about it. And, and then Barzola and, and Magomed, I mean, look, that's a great matchup. Just a great matchup. Um, I expect Magomed to go out there and get the win in this one. But that is an absolute tremendous matchup between those two guys. Look forward to that. Uh, also, the main card is going to have Bryn Ward taking on Cassius Kane. Uh, Bryn Ward, of course, we saw him return to mixed martial arts and uh, get a knockout win. And, I mean, look, when you, when you talk about fighters under Bellator contract, that are just fun to watch. Brandon Ward is one of those guys because you know the thing about Brandon Ward is you know that he is going to come to fight. And he is going to, you know, the one thing I, I've always kind of wondered about Brandon Ward is if he it mixes everything together, mixes in his striking with his wrestling. Of course, wrestling is his background. This is a guy that I think could make some leaps here at 170 pounds. I think there's some interesting matchups for him. He mentioned today, this is he's on a four-fight deal, wants to stay active. And, uh, you know, look, he he is a fan favorite up there in Connecticut, sells a ton of tickets. Uh, I know my buddy Pete Rogers Jr. has been working with Brandon Ward leading up to this one. Uh, you know, he's been coming into to Pete's gym and, and working with him. Um, you know, look, it's for Brandon Ward, it's, you know, I think the sky's the limit. I think this guy, you know, there's some really interesting matchups at 170 pounds with Brandon Ward. Uh, you know, I think he gets the win here against Cassius Kane. Uh, looking at the preliminary card, of course, uh, the, the, the fight that sticks out to me the most has got to be the lightweight matchup between Brent Premis and Alexander Shabby. Of course, uh, Brent Premis had him on the show about a week ago. And, you know, the thing that he talked about, he said he initially asked for a title matchup. That didn't happen. They told him that they were looking at doing Patrick against Sydney Outlaw. We now know that fight is happening. Said he wanted a top five opponent. Mentioned he wanted Usman Nurmagomedov. 
didn't didn't get that matchup. You know, he didn't get Nurmaga Madoff. He wanted that fight, didn't get it. And he now has Alexander Shalby. And it was a fight that obviously not thrilled about. But look, if Brent Primus goes out there with a dominating victory, he's going to put himself right there in line. You know, obviously, Nurmaga Madoff's got a fight coming up. He's going to put himself in a pretty good position. But to me, if Brent Primus goes out there and has a statement victory, he's a guy that's probably getting the winner of Sydney Outlaw. And Patricky Pitbull. Uh, you know, when it comes to the the prospects on this preliminary card to look out for, Lucas Brennan, Cody Law, two undefeated fighters. Those are two guys. Bellator is developing those guys. And, uh, man, th- those are the two guys on a preliminary card in terms of prospects that stick out to me the most. Uh, also, you got Aaron Jeffrey making his Bellator debut. Uh, Sabah Hamasi is on this card. I mean, Sabah is always in a fun fight. I would tell you this right now. Even though uh, last time I talked to Sabah Hamasi, he mentioned about going up to 85. I would love to see Sabah Hamasi and Brennan Ward. I, I think that's just got fireworks uh, written all over. Mentioned by Kat Zingano, she's got Pam Sorensen. I'm telling you what, if you're looking to place a bet, I, I don't know if I would. I might. I would look at that Pam Sorensen line. I'm just saying that is one that, that does kind of uh, stick out to me. Also, Alejandro Laura, she's on this card. Uh, Mandel Nalo. Bellator veteran. He's on his card as well, but looking forward to that. Friday's going to be a busy night for me because, you know, we got the Lightning Game 5 as I'm recording this show. We're about 20 minutes away from Game 4. So once I get done with this show, I'll be uh, watching the game as I edit this show together. And, uh, but I'm, I'm, Game 5 is on Friday. So I got, I'll have a uh, Lightning on the big TV and then I'll have, uh, I'll probably, uh, Bellator on, on, uh, on the iPad and, and PFL up on on the computer so it'll be a, a three screen night of course uh, mentioned about pfl they're back on friday pfl number five this is gonna be the heavyweights and featherweights also you have won the final lightweight matchup of this season now before we get into this card i want to mention don davis he did an interview with aaron bronstetter of tsn and he broke some news and that news is on the pay-per-view price point. If you didn't, I, I'm watching this interview and my first thought was, did he ever announce the pay-per-view price before? I don't think he did. Well, he told Eric Bronstetter what it's going to be. And you guys are launching a pay-per-view division that's not only going to be fan-forward, but also fighter-forward. You've talked about a revenue sharing right. with the yeah. headlining athletes for this pay-per-view division. How's that division coming along? When's it going to launch? And what's going to be... I guess the, the mantra in terms of signing talent from other promotions that are big enough to be on pay-per-views, not to mention what's the cost going to be like. You know, a lot of fans are already shelling out whatever it is, $70 a month to watch UFC pay-per-views. What's going to be the cost to the consumer to buy a PFL pay-per-view if that's been determined as of yet? Great question. So one, in terms of fan first, we said the pay-per-views will be $50. So we're not going to have them $75 or higher like they are now. But in terms of fighter first, here's where we're changing the business in an important and positive way for fighters. Currently, if you're a fighter, you only get about 10% of the profits from your fight, maybe 15%. We've said we'll give you 50-50 share, 50% of the fight's profits if you're those headline fighters. So you're a true economic partner. So if you're an MMA star pay-per-view fighter, people pay $50 to watch you, It's the best day in history because PFL is now open for business. PFL is now in the pay-per-view business. Our first five years of our company were only on media. We're on ESPN and ESPN Plus around the world. Now, if you're a top three, if you're a big draw in pay-per-view, you got two choices. I could stay at the UFC. I'm happy. 
Or if I'm not happy, I can go to the PFL new pay-per-view division and I can get 50% of the profits of my fights. And that was Don Davis, a PFL founder, to Aaron Bronstetter of TSN, revealing that the PFL pay-per-view price point will be $50. And this is something that myself and Daniel have talked about on this podcast of what is that price point going to be? And, you know, one of the things I've always talked about is, I mean, look, it is expensive to be a mixed martial arts fan. I know it. You know it. It's expensive to be a combat sports fan. Even if you're just an MMA fan, you're not a boxing fan. Just think about if you're taking in all of this content. Like, I'll look at it from my personal perspective, okay? So, I've got ESPN+. Plus. Now, I have ESPN+, Plus, a part of the Disney bundle. So, that gives me Disney+, Plus, uh, Hulu, plus ESPN+. Plus. So, that's uh, like, what, 20 bucks a month, I believe it is. I have UFC Fight Pass. Pay 10 bucks a month. And the whole reason why I have UFC Fight Pass, twofold, is to watch these regional shows, particularly when I'm going to be interviewing fighters that have competed on those regional shows, and B, to be able to watch tape. And when I'm doing the stuff that I do in terms of daily fantasy sports or stochastic, that's the reason why I have UFC Fight Pass. Now, I have Paramount Plus. Now, the reason I have Paramount Plus is not because of Combate Global. So, sorry, Campbell McLaren. That's not why I have, I have Paramount Plus. The reason I have it is because of the challenge. I, I've talked about this. It's a guilty show pleasure for me. You know, and they put exclusive seasons on Paramount Plus. So I have that app. And uh, it also gives me a great way to watch some of these CBS shows, even though I don't watch a ton of TV, uh, but I actually just started watching uh, Bull, the uh, the drama on, on CBS. Uh, I think we're like six seasons deep. I'm on like episode three of season one. Uh, but, uh, you know, look, it's we all spend a ton of money. Of course, UFC pay-per-views. I mean, hell, I think after taxes, what's it like? 80 bucks or whatever it is, you know? I mean, we, we all see it on, on, on our credit card bill uh, of when that thing comes in. And so for 50 bucks, I mean, look, okay, we now have a price point. I think now becomes a question of what type of fights are you giving me? And I mean, look, it's right now, I think PFL, they need a Chris Cyborg. And also when you hear him say what he said there, to me, like it is a open plea to what we're seeing going on with Nate Diaz. You, you saw what Dana White had to say about, you know, him versus Jake Paul. And then, of course, you know, Nate Diaz wants his release. I'd be shocked. I would be absolutely floored if the UFC releases Nate Diaz without giving him another fight. I would actually be floored. I, I I would be floored. And if Nate Diaz does become a free agent, yeah, if you're a PFL, you got to be calling, coming to Nate Diaz. I mean, look, if you're a PFL, you're going to be going to Francis Ngannou, anyone that becomes free agent that you believe can truly move the needle. And to me, part of that comment there from Dan David, Don Davis, excuse me, was saying, look, if you're a free agent, you're a needle mover, we're open for business. And, uh, you know, I did also think that the the wording he used, I thought was very interesting, is he said 50-50 on the profits. So I think that's something to kind of take in there. Uh, so we now know the pay-per-view price. Now the question becomes is, what are the fights you're putting on pay-per-view and are you putting fights on pay-per-view that people won't pay 50 bucks for? That's going to be a big question mark. And of course, uh, you know, he didn't say where the pay-per-view uh, ultimately be, but you got to imagine probably with, with having their, their deal with ESPN plus, you got to imagine that's got to be uh, where they would want to go there. Now, uh, something uh, Davis said at the beginning of that interview that I want to play here. And let me just say this, even before I play this clip, I 100% agree with what Don Davis says here. Of course, Clay Calder in the main event, yep. very tough, uh, 
tough decision going the other way yep. for him. And unfortunately, we're not going to get to see him in the playoffs. Hopefully, another matchup for him scheduled later in the season. Yeah, well, look, this Friday, the 24th, next Friday, July 1st, are the last two events of the PFL regular season. They're my favorite events because it's win or go home. It's almost like every fight's a game seven. We all love a game seven. Every single fight on the card is a game seven. As to Clay Collard, you know, in the PFL, we have something called the computerized scoring. Where, yes, the judges score, but we also have a shadow score, artificial intelligence scoring. Clay Collard won that fight. He won two of those three rounds, clearly. So we're always trying to create more transparency, more meritocracy in the PFL. So hopefully we see Clay back, maybe on a showcase fight this year, but certainly in the 2023 season. And just to be clear, for those that aren't in the know, the commission hires the judges. You guys are at the behest of the Georgia Athletic Commission. Absolutely. You know, all states control the fight, whether it's the referee, the doctors, or the judges. Um, we wish the judges would have seen it differently because the computer certainly saw it differently. And what I agree with what Don Davis said there is, well, first off, I agree. Clay Collar, I thought, won that fight two rounds to one. But the, the really the part that I agree with what he had to say there is that this stage of the PFL season is my favorite part of the PFL season. The second round of these matchups. Of course, you know, we saw it last week where you had these, these situations where you, know, you think of the Jeremy Stevens situation. Jeremy Stevens knew he had to go out there and get a stoppage. He did go out there and get a stoppage, so he is not advancing on. And that's what I love about this stage of the PFL is because it's win, as he just says there, it's win or go home. And, of course, this one, featherweights and heavyweights, but also we've got the lightweights on it as well. One lightweight matchup remaining. That is Anthony Pettis versus Stevie Ray. Now, you know, look, you want to talk about why this fight is so important is Three of the four spots have been clinched for the playoffs for the lightweight division. Anthony Pettis has one of those spots, so he is fighting for seeding here as Anthony Pettis has six points. Olivia Aubin Mercier has six points. Alexander Martinez has six points. So if Anthony Pettis goes out there and gets any type of win, whether it's a first a stoppage win, a decision win, he will have the number one seed in the playoffs. If he goes out there and win, he's going to take on Hosh Manfio in the opening round. Manfio currently has four points. Stevie Ray currently has zero points. Now, you get four points for a third-round victory. So one of the things that I had to pull up here because I was like, well, what happens if Stevie Ray goes out there and gets a third-round victory? So I go over to the PFL website and I go into the rules and regulations, right? Easily available there on their website. And I found the part where it says if two fighters are tied on points. So I'm using the example here that Stevie Ray goes out there and gets a third round win that would match him with Manfio with four points. So how do we work the tiebreaker? There are 10 tiebreakers. I mean, PFL shed no expense on the amount of tiebreakers here. I can only imagine if you got to number 10, which, by the way, is a coin flip. It, it says coin flip. The league will work with the commission of his choice to oversee the coin flip. The league will assign heads and tails to the fire who are tied and will have the commission confirm the result of the coin flip. That is number 10. Number one, head to head, Hoshman Fio, Stevie Ray did not fight each other. Number two, number of regular season fights. They'll have the same uh, number of regular season fights. 
number of finishes. So if Stevie Ray goes out there and gets the finish, they'll be tied there. Then it's winning percentage. They'll be tied there. So number five is what will decide it. Least amount of time spent in the cage when winning. Walkover wins count for 15 minutes spent in the cage for this step. So Hashman Fio, he won his third round fight against Don Madge at two minutes and 42 seconds. So that is something you're going to hear on that broadcast on Friday that Stevie Ray has got to beat that time. If Stevie Ray beats that time, he punches his tickets into the playoffs. And of course, then it'll come down to, uh, I did not uh, look into the three fighter tiebreaker, which if Stevie Ray wins, then we have a three fighter tiebreaker between Anthony Paz, Olivia Abed Mercier and Alexander Martinez. Of course, Alexander Martinez and uh, Olivia Abed Mercier both won their fights via decision. Anthony Pettis getting a first round stoppage victory there. And so that's, uh, you know, if you're, you're Hashman Fio, you are the biggest Anthony Pettis fan on Friday. It's like, you almost feel like if you're PFL production, like just have, you know, hop a, ha, have a Hosh, a hop on a zoom, have him on a split screen because he is going to be sitting there and he is going to be the biggest Anthony Pettis fan biggest Anthony Pettis fan on on Friday night and of course for Stevie Ray you know what he goes out there he knows he gets you know gets a stoppage and he beats uh that third round two minute and 42 second time he's in there as well and and that's why I love this part of the PFL season is because you just you know what is at stake and I think it does increase the action for the most part even though like last week watching jeremy stevens as i'm watching a fight i'm just kind of going jeremy throw some combinations whatnot and uh you know jeremy stevens we'll, we'll see what happened there of course uh, sorry with him last week the fact of shaved his head shaved his beard to make weight but uh the rest of this pfl card is going to be heavyweights and featherweights and of course uh, an audio clip i want to play for you is actually from bubba jenkins what goes on to what I was just talking about, how much these points mean something, where he notes that if his fight against Kyle Bachniak got a decision win earlier this year, if it would be in the second round, he would have pushed harder for a stoppage. The featherweight division in a deadlock at three points uh, towards the top, is that affecting your game plan at all going to this, knowing that you might need bonus points? No, the whole, the the game plan is always to get them up out of there. Um, I believe last time, if I was in a position to had to, to have to get Kyle Boshiak out, I I would have done it. Like if I, if it was this round and I know everyone's got three and someone just got a knockout or someone just got a bonus and then I put Boshiak on his butt the first time, then I would have been more privy to trying to get that guy out of there with the next couple rounds or the next couple punches. But um, since that's not the case and we'll see what it looks like tomorrow or on Friday. We're going to make sure that we do the right things, but the, the goal is always to knock him out. And I believe I can with this guy. And of course, when you look at this featherweight division, the fact of you've got no one with more than three points, shame on race, Alejandro Flores, Chris Wade, Bubba Jenkins, Brent Laughlin, all with three points. But part of the story of this PFL card on Friday night is the amount of changes that have happened to this fight card as you have have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven new fighters have been added to this fight card, replacing fighters on this card. Delage now taking on Shelton Graves. Uh, Golstov now taking on Maurice Green, the former UFC fighter. John Jones 
will be in the corner of Maurice Crean. Juan Adams is on this card. He's taking on Sam Kai, also new to the PFL here. Uh, Hinado Exon is going to be the fighter taking on Bubba Jenkins. Also, Agoso Husik taking on Brandon Lofwain and Kudo taking on Flores here. And of course, uh, you know, really, you know, looking at the the way this card is lined up, the fighters who are going to have the biggest advantages potentially when it comes to the point system on this will actually be Chris Wade and Kyle Bachniak. Kyle Bachniak has zero points. Chris Wade has three points. They're going to know exactly what they have to do when they walk into the cage, how many points they are going to need to move on. Shame on race. He takes on Lance Palmer. Lance Palmer has zero points. And it's crazy to think about where Lance Palmer was a year and a half ago. He was entering the final year of his PFL deal. Goes 0-2. Not, you know, returns to the PFL. If he would have gone out and and ran through that PFL tournament and be and won the, the featherweight tournament once again, who knows? Maybe he's not in the PFL right now. You know, look, the one thing is, is look, Lance Palmer is a tremendous wrestler. It's not the most exciting fighting style. I mean, let's just be honest about it. It's not the most exciting fighting style, but he has got to go out there. If you're Lance Palmer, the mindset for you has to be, I got to go out there. I got to win the first round because you're, you're already three points behind. You need six points here. If you're Lance Palmer, you can't win by decision and think you're getting into the playoffs. You have to get a stoppage. You got to go out there. That's why, like, you know, over at Scholastic, we, we are sponsored by prize picks on the MMA show. If there is a, if there is fight time numbers on these lines, I looked a little before the show, there's none listed, but they are just smash the unders, smash the unders because these fighters have to go for the stoppage. They have to go for the stoppage. Lance Palmer has to go for the stoppage. Shame on race. Look, I don't love this matchup for shame on race, but if you're shame on race, you understand that even if you get a, a stoppage in the second or third round, you've likely secured your spot into the playoffs. So you get a first round finish. Clearly you, you secure your spot there uh, in, in the playoffs there. Uh, you know, looking at the rest of this, of course, you got uh, floors has got three points. Bubba Jenkins, three points. Brent Laughlin <clears throat> has three points. Brent Laughlin is actually the second fight of the card. And, uh, you know, look, there's the one thing I will say this is I think they're doing their best they can to make sure to not put Brent Laughlin up against grapplers. Because, look, if, if there is a style to beat Brent Laughlin, it is going up against grapplers. You know, we've seen that, you know, so he's got to go out there and get the win there. Kyle Bokniak, I mean, look, Bokniak's got, got power in those hands. We saw him in the UFC, uh, ended up once he exited the UFC, went over to XMMA in this spot. He's got to go out there and get a first-round finish. Now, when you look at the heavyweight side of this equation, Fahey's got six points, Golstov's got six points, Bruno's got six points, Delia's got five points. So those are right now your top four. And then the only other fighter with points is Kleisen Abreu, who has got three points. Abreu taking on him, Fahey, uh, on this fight card. Of course, Bruno in the main event of this fight card, to me, the overwhelming favorite to win this thing. No question about it. Uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, obviously all these, you know, heavyweights stepping up here, Shelton Graves, Maurice Green, Juan Adams, Sam Kay, they have all put themselves in a tremendous position. They go out there and, and all those guys, they all have, the mindset has to be go out there and knock them out in the first round. That has to be the mindset with these guys. And that's why I love this stage of the PFL. That's why I love watching it. 
you know, I, you know, look, there, there are things that I don't enjoy about the PFL. I hate their goddamn pacing. Like I, I watched last week's event live and watching it live made me realize why I prefer to watch the PFL on tape delay or, or on demand, I should say, or DVR, however, however you want to phrase it. That's how I like to watch the PFL because that broadcast just dragged and dragged and dragged, particularly with that main card. You're, you're three fights into the main card and you've been on the air for one hour and 45 minutes. And it's a complaint that I've had about the PFL for some time. Other people in the PFL, I, I saw my guy, Nolan King or MMA Junkie talking about it. Uh, you know, it is just, it's one of those things that I just hope the PFL looks at people who consume their product and goes, okay, guys, we got to do a better job. We got to do a better job of these are the people who want to watch our product. How can we make our product better? I know they love to talk about their smart cage and all that. And, and sometimes the statistic at the bottom of the cage, I could uh, bottom of the screen. I could really care less about, but the fact is it's like speed up your broadcast. Look, I get the fact of having 15 minute decisions for three straight fights doesn't help the equation. I totally get that, but like it sometimes eliminates some of this filler content. I, I get that you're trying to get us to understand who these who these fighters are as people, who they are as martial artists. But man, that broadcast just drags. I hope they go on uh, and, and then prove it. Uh, we'll see you on Friday night, but uh, it'll be a secondary screen watching for me, so I won't be paying attention. Uh, you know, I won't. It won't have my full attention. Uh, maybe once the lightning game's over, if the main card is still going on. Uh, it'll, it'll have a little bit more of my attention there, but uh, I mean, look, I like what the PFL is doing. Like I've said, I, I, th- I want to see the PFL succeed. That's a, it's always been a thing for me. You know, there's, you know, I'm sure there are probably times where people in the PFL have heard me say things and they might say, Oh, Jason's a hater. I'm not trying to be a hater. I'm just, try- I'm just going to sit here and be honest with you. And like sitting there on my couch last Friday night, it was an enjoyable experience, plain and simple. Uh, but, of course, that is PFL, Bellator. Those are both on Friday night. But on Saturday, we've got UFC Vegas 57. It's going to be headlined by a key matchup in the UFC lightweight division, Armin Sarukian and Matthias Gamrot, uh, of course, scheduled for 25 minutes. I remember when this fight was announced as the main event, a lot of people they poo-pooed on it. I mean, and I might have been one of those ones. That initially, I was like, oh, well, okay, all right. But, uh, I mean, look, it's a key matchup at, at the 155-pound division. Armin Sur- I mean, both these guys, I think, have a ceiling of, of top five title challenger, maybe even win the UFC title. Sarukin, we, we've seen him up there against, uh, you know, top competition in Machev. Gamrot, we know what this guy has done. I am expecting this fight to play out over 25 minutes. I do like uh, I a slight edge to Sarukian. I want to say he's like a two and a half to one betting favorite there. I think that line's a little wide. I think if you're looking for a little value play uh, on the betting side, if you're in a place where you can place a wager, uh, Gamrot is, I think has got some good value on him. Maybe you want to take your chances, Gamrot via decision. Uh, but that one is a good matchup. Uh, you know, the co-main event, uh, Rachmanov taking on Magny. And I, I feel like we are now at the point with Neil Magny that he is essentially, he has become this guy of, He's going to take on the rising guy, and it's this test. And it's the test of, are you ready to take on the upper echelon of this division? And uh, Shakmak Rachmanov, I mean, look, I think this guy is super talented. I don't know if he goes out there and finishes Neil Magny in this one. You know, so maybe on the betting side, 
Maybe if you're you're looking, maybe get Rachmanov via decision here, but uh, he's a four to one betting favorite in this one. Look, I like Rachmanov to win this one. Uh, you know, for Neil Magny, I mean, look, I, I think that you probably got to try to keep this thing on the feet, stay away from the grappling, um, use that 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 length advantage that you know that he does have in this one. But I do like Rachmanov, uh, Parisian uh, Boudou. I, I I call this matchup of of who is the who is the fighter you trust the most? Like if you had to make a hundred dollar wager on either one of these guys, and it's a straight pick and fight, who would you pick? I don't know. My guess is I pick Parisian, but uh, that one is uh, that that's a heavyweight matchup. That look, I know why it's on the main card. Uh, I expect that someone's probably getting knocked out at some point in that fight. Uh, Tiago Moses taking on Christos Yagos. Christos Yagos, uh, he left uh, California, now training there in South Florida at Sanford and May. Of course, uh, Tiago Moses training there. An American top team. Uh, you know, obviously, if, if Christos Yagos is going to pull off the upset here, he's got to get the fight to the ground. Um, obviously, Tiago Moses is very well accomplished as a ground fighter. But to me, if Christos Yagos is going to pull off the upset, he has got to get this one to the ground. Uh, then uh, you got Umar Nurmaga Madoff taking on Nate Manis and Speaking of the betting odds, when I saw the betting odds on this one, I was actually pretty surprised that the betting odds are this wide. I, I was floored that the betting odds were this wide. I mean, look, Nurmaga Madoff should be the favorite, an 8-1 to one betting favorite. Man, I think that's a little wide here. Uh, Nate Manis, I, I would tell you this. I mean, look, the one thing that a lot of people will say when we talk about the Habib fight team and the guys that he's essentially their head coach, everyone looks at Umar as the guy that could be the, the one that maybe even, could even be better than Islam Mahachev. Um, I know there apparently there's a report out there of Mahachev and Oliveira in October. I want to say two, UFC 281. I, I saw it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, one, one of the, the social media platforms. I, I saw it out there. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see how that one goes. But uh, uh, Chris Curtis, Rodolfo Vieira, of course, Chris Curtis, the action man, always a fun, entertaining fire to watch. And uh, to me, in that one, he's just got to stay away. Uh, from the grappling, you know, look, if you're going to talk about what, what are a downside of Chris Curtis, it's when people are able to utilize a wrestling game against him. Of course, Vieira, world-class jiu-jitsu guy, uh, you know, of course, in the one time it failed in the UFC was when, uh, the gas tank went out with him. Uh, but Chris Curtis, I do like him in that one. Uh, and Jacku and Olberg, I think that's that potentially, I think could be the fight of the night. That fight could end up being, uh, the fight of the night. Uh, also, I'll tell you, uh, Brian Kelleher versus Mario Batista is a fight I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, Brian Kelleher returning to 35. I do like Mario Batista in that one. I think he's got a chance to, to really uh, look well in that matchup on the feet. Uh, and then the opening fight of the car, Vanessa Demopoulos taking on Jin Yu Frey. Uh, I spoke to Vanessa Demopoulos. If you missed that, that interview is available on the MMA Report YouTube channel. Of course, uh, it was uh, had it on a recent episode of the podcast. And uh, look, uh, Vanessa did not, I, I felt like she didn't say much about the fight. Uh, how much of that is maybe trying to uh, hold her cards close to the vest, uh, as they say, uh, in, in terms of this one. Of course, uh, the part, of, the big part of that interview with Vanessa was her talking about the fact of recently receiving her black belt. And what I, what I really found interesting about that interview 
was uh, her talking about what you know how that means you know what that means to her in terms of her martial arts journey and that should be uh you know obviously she's coming off a win there and of course we all remember uh her jumping into joe rogan's arms uh as uh, she was celebrating that victory there so uh you know look i'm looking forward to to all these fight cards ufc vegas 57 that'll be on saturday and then of course you also you have got PFL and Bellator on Friday. Uh, also, in terms of the regional scene, you have also got on the regional scene this weekend Lights Out Championship. Uh, that's uh, there's a the main event of that one is Austin Bashy taking on Chris San Jose. Now, this was uh, originally supposed to be the co-main event, but it got elevated to the main event when the original main event, Mando Gutierrez and Sean McPadden, was pulled from the car because of a, an injury. For Mando Gutierrez. So Austin Bashy, Chris San Jose gets elevated to the main card. I will tell you this. I believe the likelihood is the winner of this matchup will either next fight will either be in the contender series or in the UFC in a short notice replacement. Of course, contender series, we're a month away from the contender series. That starts July the 26th. Uh, of course, uh, I always tell people, like, you want to know what the contender series matchups are? Just go ahead and make junkie because Nolan King is all over that thing. That, that's always been uh, his bread and butter. He always knows all the matchups, so you want to go over there. Uh, and I'll tell you, I always look forward to those uh, those Dana Weiss contender series. I, I enjoy those ones, and, uh, you know, obviously last year's version of the contender series was more about the – the international talent because obviously when it came to 2020 there was you know um there was a lack of international talent coming in because of the COVID restrictions that we did have throughout the United States. So uh, looking forward to seeing that. Uh, I know uh, looking at, uh, there are some familiar names to me that, uh, that do uh, stick out to me, but uh, I look forward to that. Uh, Of course, uh, next week here on the podcast, we'll be previewing UFC 276, of course, headlined by Israel Adesanya defending his middleweight title against Cherry can near co-main event trilogy matchup. Alexander Volkanovsky defending the featherweight title against Max Holloway. Also, uh, the Sugar Show is back, taking on Pedro Munoz. And uh, I really believe, and we'll see whether I'm right or not, I believe the storyline, a big storyline next week involving Israel Adesanya will be a potential matchup against Alex Pahea. Of course, we all know they fought in kickboxing. Pahea making his transition over to MMA. He's got a matchup against Sean Strickland. Pahea's manager already came out and said, hey, my, you know, we're, we're getting, you know, the winner of this matchup is going to get a title matchup. And uh, I mean, look, right when they announced the Sean Strickland fight, you knew like right when they announced that fight, you're just like, yeah, they are. They are rushing Alex Bahia into a middleweight title matchup. And, and look, I can't blame the UFC for doing that. I, you know, I, I absolutely cannot blame them for doing that so uh we'll see what happens there uh just kind of uh you know looking over some other things uh that have uh, some other news uh you know because you know the mma reddit is kind of where i like to go uh let's see timur valiev has been uh removed from the ufc roster a little bit uh, i don't know nah, i shouldn't say not much surprise there uh henry cejudo has started his training camp uh mentioning uh, this on uh ali abdelaziz mentioning this on twitter of course i believe uh, the first time that Henry can come back is going to be in October. Of course, we know the UFC is looking to do 
uh, Aljamain Sterling against TJ Dillashaw. Talked about last week on the podcast, the fact of uh, Aljamain Sterling has not signed his contract for that one. The whole reason he has not signed his contract for that one uh, is due to, uh, well, he's looking for more money. I mean, that's just, that is uh, the basic way uh, to put it over there. But uh, obviously, completely expect that that is something that is going to happen there. Uh, we'll mention, uh, plan on checking out some regional MMA here in Tampa uh, in the next couple of weeks on July 14th. CFFC is going to be uh, coming here to Tampa, so I'm going to try to check that, that out. Uh, by the way, the next episode of the podcast will come out on Sunday. That'll be the interview edition of the show. I'm going to be joined uh, by Billy Quarantillo. He's going to, I'm going to be talking to him tomorrow, so look for that on Sunday's podcast. I'm talking to Dustin Jacoby on Friday, so look for that on Sunday's podcast as well. Always enjoy talking to those guys. Billy, uh, a Tampa guy. Actually, I believe he's back in Tampa. Uh, I know he uh, went up to uh, New York to do some training, but I believe he's back uh, here in Tampa to finish up his camp of course he'll be on that long island show that's going to be on abc july the 16th that's an afternoon show i want to say the main card starts at like three o'clock eastern time i want to say like the main card a uh, prelim start like 12 o'clock uh eastern time and look i love that man as someone who lives on the east coast Love me some early afternoon MMA. Uh, so I get jealous of people who live on the West Coast uh, that uh, get, get afternoon MMA all the time. But uh, that is going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Appreciate everyone taking time out of your day. Download, listen to the show, wherever you're listening to the show, whether you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, maybe you're watching it on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, if you could do me a huge favor, hit like, Subscribe to the channel, hit that notification bell, particularly hitting that like, hit that subscribe button. That helps us out a ton here at the MMA Report. I've got a ton of fighter interviews, not just UFC and Bellator fighters, but you've got regional level fighters. I've, you know, I've recently posted two amateur fighters who are coming off wins at Fury Amateur Series 38. So I'd really appreciate if you could subscribe to the MMA Report on YouTube. That would help out so much. Hit that thumbs up button as well. You know, it's right down here. Yeah, hit that thumbs up button. That does help me out a ton. Appreciate everyone taking time out of your day to listen to this episode. And uh, I will talk to you on the next edition of the podcast where I'll be joined by UFC fighters Billy Quarantillo and Dustin Jacoby.